0: This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by Politoweek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for
1: Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Rich E.V., you're on the air with The Nation. The Nation. This is America with your host, Rich
0: Valdez.
1: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And that's Rich Valdez with an S. Please follow me on social media so we can keep in touch because right now what we're talking about is moving so rapidly, so fluidly. But you've got the founder of BLM, Black Lives Matter, Patrice Colors. She's out in London And now she's saying that, you know what, we have to attack the police. Now, this attack on the police seems to me to be relentless. They want to come into each and every one of our neighborhoods. And I'm not trying to use this as demagoguery, as a fear tactic. This is real. They say that they want to destroy the constabulary, to abolish the police, defund the police. Why? Because it's racist. Now, the data shows otherwise, but yet Patrice Cullors... She's in it to win it. She says that she's always wanted to go after the police. She's always wanted to be in this fight. This is the part where I think it gets ugly because in her lap of luxury, or should I say laps of luxury with the four houses that she owns, I don't own four houses, do you? If you do, good for you. I'm not saying it's bad to own four houses, but for a communist who doesn't believe, or at least a Marxist who doesn't believe in private property, she sure has a lot of real property. <laughs> but Patrice colors. she's back in the public eye. Of course, she was hiding for a little bit, I think, because of her uh, debacle with all these properties and having to uh, kind of make good on that. Now she's saying at King's College in London back in 2015 that the police are a terrorist organization and that she's always wanted to fight them. Check this out. Uh, I joined the organization uh, when I was 17 years old. And I remember the first thing I said to the organization uh, was, do you fight police? That's what I wanted to do. I always I wanted to fight the police. They were the the single most um, sort of terrorist organization in in my uh, life, and I wanted to know how to fight them. I wanted to know how to hold them accountable. Uh, So I started doing uh, work when I was 17 years old against the police. And uh, from there, uh, the different sorts of things ran campaigns that focused on trying to get them out of high schools, ran campaigns that focused on decriminalizing um, young people's lives. So now perhaps if I were a shrink, I would say that this is a clear case of uh, oppositional defiance disorder. She says that as far back as she can remember, she always wanted to fight the police. Listen, I grew up listening to those songs, FTP F the police. And they were terrific, not because of the message. It was just, it was entertaining. Hip-hop was cool. Rap was cool. I get it. I was a little kid. I thought it was all right. I liked NWA. It doesn't mean I lived my life that way. My brothers were cops. I wanted to be a cop. I think you could differentiate between the two. I think you could watch entertainment, whether it's a television show, whether it's a rap video, whether it's a movie, and differentiate between what's real and what is fiction. But it seems that Patrice colors may have grown up this way and said, you know what? I'm going to make that, what is fiction, my reality. I do want to attack the police. She wants to take on the police. And the reason why? Because they want to destroy all that's right and good. Now, I'm not saying the police are always right and good, but for the most part, they are. Of course, there's the proverbial bad apple here and there. We hear that all the time. We're not going to continue to live our lives talking about the, the minimal failings during the majorities prevailing. We just can't do that. We can't live our life looking through the rearview mirror, looking at what has passed us by without looking out the front window because we'll crash. Somebody taught me that when I was young and it never left me. It's never escaped me. You can't live your life looking through the rearview mirror because if you don't look forward, you're going to crash. And that's the bottom line. But this is what Patrice colors and BLM are all about. Pushing critical race theory, bringing not only this conversation, which may be needed in certain cases, it's an irrefutable fact that African-Americans are incarcerated at a higher rate than anybody else. That's true. I've been to prisons and I've seen it myself. There are more black Americans in prisons than white Americans or Hispanic Americans or or Asian Americans. And I think to, to argue that we need equality in the prison system is a silly argument. But I think it's worth taking a look at why is it happening? Why is it that you have so many black men in particular behind bars? We should take a look at that. And we should figure out that maybe it was Democrat ideas, FDRs, in my opinion, racist and anti-family policies of welfare, removing the father from the home that caused this to happen. That might be a thing. We should look at why we don't have black Wall Street anymore. And it's the same reason. When the Democrats got involved, their anti-black policies have hurt African-Americans every step of the way so that they could, pardon my phrase, enslave them to a plantation of perpetual Democrat voters. I do believe that to be true. And I think most of you do too. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. But the problem is that Democrats want to double down. They want to do more propaganda, more inflammatory rhetoric. So of course... You've got good old Jen Pasirkelback Pasaki, silent P of course. Jen Pasercleback Pasaki is at the White House press briefing on Monday saying there isn't a crime problem in the United States. What we have is a gun problem. Now, you would think that I was joking or being hyperbolic, but I've got the audio to prove it. Listen to Jen Back Pasaki, Silent P. Check this out.
0: I'll look back over the weekend and over the last year. This past weekend, there were more than a dozen mass shootings across this country. Uh, 4,000 more people shot and killed by guns in 2020 compared to the year before. Is there a crime problem in this country?
2: Well, I would say certainly there is a guns problem. Uh, and that's something the president would say. And there are communities where uh, local violence and community violence is an issue. And that's one of the reasons that we have proposed and have now are implementing funding for community violence prevention programs across
1: the country. Ha! So, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You've got the reporter saying, look, we're looking over the weekend. You look over the last year. They're talking about all the guns that are out there. And all that Jan Pasercle back Pasaki could say is, Certainly, there's a guns problem. And that's something the president would say. It's as if guns are getting up and shooting people all by them damn selves. I think you and I both know that it's never a gun problem. It's a people problem. It's a values problem. It's about how we view our lives and how we live our lives. If you don't value life, you're quick to take it. This is the problem we face. It's a culture war. It's a a battle of ideas. And sadly, in some places like the south side of Chicago, parts of New York City, parts of Los Angeles, Baltimore, Detroit, you've got places where shootings are out of control and we need to get them under control. And of course, again, preaching to the choir, you guys know this stuff. But for the secretary of the White House, the press secretary to the president of the United States for her to have the audacity to simply say, we don't have a crime problem. When crime is up something like 87% in New York City, at least shootings are up that much. To say, we don't have a crime problem, what we have is a gun problem, is just either outright stupidity or an outright lie. Because we know it to be false. But this goes right back to Patrice Cullors' attack on police. They wanna get rid of everything that gets in the way of their argument. No police, no rationality, no law, no order. Just pandemonium and chaos. Now, why would they want such a thing? Well, again, it gets people to join their club. If you can say, look, all hell is breaking loose. You need to get with me. We got to take action. That chaos creates the emotion of urgency and it gets people on board. It distracts them from seeing the real issues of what's really happening, of how they're introducing this critical race theory over and over at school after school. And they're attacking the cops left and right while other things are happening. Speaking of cops, you had this guy, Charles Lieber, arrested a year and a half ago, who was the uh, head of Harvard's chemistry department and uh, him and his associates, three people were arrested, two of them trying to leave the country with biological agents to go to Wuhan. China. So now I'm looking at this piece in Fox News. Headline. White House demands transparent probe of COVID lab leak theory after international organization and others have dismissed it. Ted Cruz mocks the Washington Post as clowns. (laughs) Damn right they're clowns. After the fact check declares that the Wuhan lab leak theory suddenly is now credible. Tucker Carlson says Fauci and the World Health Organization, the mainstream media, all lied about the COVID origins for more than a year. And of course, you heard the same thing from the great one, Mark Levin, who just had Nicholas Wade on his program on Fox on Sunday. And again, this isn't new news. This is confirmation of old news that was speculation. It was suspicion. And now more and more puzzle pieces are falling into place. You've got Rand Paul putting Fauci in the spotlight, asking those difficult questions and Fauci squirming uh, uh, I never, never, we did not fund the gain of function research. No, but you funded somebody else who funded the stupid research. And you know full well that you did it, but you're trying to, you know, protect yourself, trying to hide the truth. And this is the damn problem. Dishonesty has become so popular in Washington, so popular in politics, and it's always been a staple of politics, quite frankly. But now it's like, Does anybody tell the truth in the media? Does anybody tell the truth in Washington? Of course not. So it's our job as people uh, who are observing, we the people who actually run this thing, at least in theory, we're supposed to run this thing, we need to do a little bit more and dig a little bit deeper and realize there's more to this. And the House GOP has issued this uh, Wuhan lab report saying that it discredits the Facebook fact checkers, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole lot of... um, controversy over what's going on with the cover-up on the official story that this came from bats, when we now know that this was developed in a lab and leaked. And now, was it leaked or was it, as many are saying, speculating, that it was a bioweapon and an attack? Now, if that was, in fact, the case, I can't help but think that my president, El Trumpito Donalds Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente Donald J. Trump, that he would have declared war and not a trade war, but an actual war with all these Americans dying because a bioweapon named COVID 19 was used on Americans. And I think if there was a shred of proof at that time, he would have taken such action. But he didn't. And the reason he didn't was because there probably wasn't that shred of evidence. Secretary Pompeo's kind of alluded to the same thing. We suspect. We think it may have leaked, but they've never gone as far as saying, you know, this was an actual all-out attack. Now, that may may become the case. It may not be. As of now, it's not. And the old saying that the facts have a way of catching up with the media, an old saying from Mark Levin, I think is a, a true one. It rings true in this situation. Sometimes you just got to wait and see because sitting here and being fortune tellers, isn't really going to help our issue. All that, all that does is allow one to pontificate. It allows you to go, well, you know, I've been talking about this for a year and a half. I was saying this when nobody said, I want to know why nobody in talk radio say, because they try to follow the facts. They base their opinions on the news of the day and they're trying to follow the facts. It's that simple.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.
1: When you come out and you say things that you really can't corroborate, what ends up happening is you, you jeopardize everything. It's like, imagine if you're doing an investigation, you're the feds and you're looking into some gangsters and you go, we think these guys are stealing this, that and the other thing and you let everybody know you're looking into this, then you're not going to get the evidence you need. So you got to, you do your investigation in the shadows. You got to do it quietly. And then when it's time to bring everything out to light, you bring out everything you've got. And this is why people get labeled conspiracy theorists because it's exactly that. They find a conspiracy, they create a theory and then they peddle it as truth. Bottom line fact, China attacked America by a weapon. It's just not proven. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying we've got to wait till we've got the facts. Then if your response to me is, Rich, come on, don't be so naive. We wait till we get the facts. We'll never get the facts. Fox News will bury it. CNN will bury it. Every part of the mainstream media will bury it. The corporate media hates us. True. But you really can't always hide the truth. The truth will come through. At least that's my belief. And perhaps it is naive. But I do believe that you just can't get everybody in on your uh, cover-up. Just like that Time Magazine piece that came out describing the 2020 election and how this perfect storm came together to pull off this win for Biden and how they had to change the rules in order to win the game. This wasn't an outright blanketed election fraud across the board. They were complicit. The people that would call out the fraud helped them say it wasn't fraud. Courts that wouldn't take up cases. The FBI that wouldn't prosecute. It's very difficult to say fraud when the people that fight fraud are saying it's not fraud. And that's the point that I'm making. You couple that with the attack on the police, the attack on Americanism as a whole, and now we're all screwed. Or... Are we just getting started? Are we just getting amped up? Are we just getting interested enough in what's going on in our country to be informed patriots and take the action that's necessary? And you tell me, if somebody's lying, what's the action that's necessary? To reveal the truth, to dig and continue to dig and continue to dig. This is why. Somebody asked me yesterday, they said, you know what? If Israel has the ability to just completely flatten Palestine, and bury Hamas. Why do they even get into these tit-for-tat rocket battles? And my thinking was, why is it that any army has ever done that? Why do we fight the battles and not just decimate people? Think about it for a second. Because there's a major consequence to doing that. The idea is not to decimate people. It's to fix whatever you're fighting over at that moment. Everybody has a strategic objective. And it's not always the same. Some people's objectives are way down in the horizon while others are right there in front of them. Short range goal versus a long range goal. I know I'm getting into the weeds and I'm uh, rambling a little bit, babbling, but this is stuff that's on my mind and I want to share it with you because I think it's very important for us to realize we have to be credible in our approach. We can't just sit here and pick up arms every time somebody says something that we disagree with. We have to actually disprove it. We have to have a better argument. We have to come correct. We've got to bring it to them the same way they're bringing it to us. Look at this poor kid who was trying to do the right thing and ended up in jail, Kyle Rittenhouse. We can laud him as a hero all we want, but the kid's in jail and he's he's not walking away from this thing. This is the point I'm making. There's a lot of people that, that... we make out to be martyrs and they, it's unnecessary. We don't need that. What we need to do is win in the battle of ideas. And for those of you that think the battle of ideas is come and gone, Rich, you're too late. We're not too late because they're literally winning on ideas. They do it each and every time. Marxism is an idea. It gave birth to communist regimes all over the globe and they did it all with ideas They picked up arms, they used force, and they killed people and starved people. Are we communists or are we patriots? Keep it locked right there. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Make sure you uh, catch up with me on social media. Trying to be as active as I can on Parlor as they work through the bugs, but it seems like they're making headway with that. But of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook and of course, Twitter. Try to be on Twitter as often as I can to share whatever news we're talking about and the articles that I'm reading from and stuff like that. So I want you to... Join that conversation, I want to hear your thoughts and of course, um, thank you for everybody who sent out a request saying that they want to get some This Is America Rich Valdez merch that merchandise is coming out really, really soon, the t-shirts and the hats and stuff like that, so I'm excited to share those with you and thank you for giving me some of those ideas of what to put out there because I had no idea of what you would like as a a listener of this show somebody asked for a shirt that says Rich Valdez with an S I think uh, the designer has one of those in the works and we'll be putting those out soon, hopefully before the second week of June, and and everybody who's um, reached out with respect to the tour, the Real Talk Tour, realtalktour.com, with uh, Angela Stanton King that I'll be joining, and we're doing a stop, I think, right here in New York City. The New York leg of the tour is going to be in Manhattan, so I'll be giving you some information about that, maybe on Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend, which is uh, coming up this coming weekend. We will uh, be doing the show remotely from the Hamptons. I'll be out there supporting my buddy, uh, Curtis Sliwa, who's running for mayor. He's got an event out there and uh, we'll bring you some details on that in the next program. But right now, what I want to talk about is the bombs that are bursting in the air, some of them, which are even killing their own people, launched by Hamas, killing the pro-Palestinian terrorist group. They've stopped for now. They've slowed down. But it doesn't mean the tensions are not as flared up as they've always been. And I do believe, as controversial as this may sound, I really do believe that both Israel and Palestine have a right to exist. Now, I'm not gonna say where and when and how. I think people are people and people have a right to exist. God created us that way. I don't think we get to pick and choose who gets to exist and who doesn't. So when the Palestinian uh, terrorists known as Hamas say that the Jews must be wiped out, I say, no, sir, that's wrong. And in the same way, we, if we believe that, we can't sit here and say that the Palestinian people can't exist. Now, what we can say, at least I know I will say, is that we should wipe out Hamas and all terrorist groups. That should never be uh, something that we co-sign, that we s- approve of. That's something we should call out and call for the eradication of each and every time. We don't need that. We don't need those evil regimes like Iran. But there's a lot of evil in the world. So what happens? So just because we believe that people have a right to exist doesn't mean that these people are not going to have a conflict. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders was on Face the Nation and I I never agree with Senator Bernie Sanders. He's just somebody that I tend to not agree with. But he says that Hamas is a terrorist, corrupt, authoritarian group of people. And we've got to stand up to them. And that one sentence, well, that's a sentence that I can agree with from Senator Bernie Sanders. Check this out. You have uh, put forward legislation uh, that would... Uh, delay this the sale uh, of, of military equipment
2: to Israel. Would you also put the same kind of conditions you'd like to see on that aid to Israel on any aid the U.S. gives through the U.N. or otherwise to the Palestinians to make sure that Hamas doesn't get any of it? Absolutely. Look, Hamas is a terrorist, corrupt, authoritarian uh, group of people, and we have got to stand up to them. But once again, Our job is not simply to put more and more military support for Israel. It is to bring people together. And we can't do it alone. We need the
1: international community. But that's what I think we need to be doing. All right. So that's Senator Bernie Sanders on Face the Nation with John Dickerson. And uh, they're talking about the sale of military equipment to Israel and whatnot, because they're always trying to frame this as somehow the, the evil... Israeli regime, the evil Netanyahu, war criminal, right? This is all they want to say each and every time, that if somehow Netanyahu goes away, then all of a sudden Israel's a great place. Let me tell you something. This conflict has been going on with every single prime minister since I was a kid. It's always been the case. Menachem Begin, Ariel Sharon, Shimon Peres, Benjamin Netanyahu. They have been fighting the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, Iran in many ways, because many of these are proxies of Iran. They've been doing this since before I was born. So to suggest that it's just this evil empire, that Israel's just the bad guy on the block, I think has its roots, honestly, in Nazi theory and in, in Nazi propaganda that continues today. When people just like the idea of hating Jews, they don't realize that they're doing the work of the Nazi white supremacist. And that's just a matter of fact. At least that's my opinion on those set of facts. My advice to everybody everywhere, don't be a Nazi white supremacist. Free of charge, that advice. Meanwhile, you've got the Secretary of State now saying that in... You know, in literally uncertain terms, well, you know, Iran, they know what they've got to do to come back to the table, but we don't really know uh, if they're going to go for it. But um, we, we have the, the right people in place. We have continued conversations. And I mean, this is straight bureaucracy. You know, once you've been around bureaucracy, you, you can sniff it out. And when you hear these people, well, you know, it depends. We can definitely have a conversation about that. And they just keep going in this circuitous conversation, this circuitous discussion that doesn't end because they don't want it to end. They just, they want to justify their existence as bureaucrats. Oftentimes when you solve a political problem, when you solve a problem of the government, there's no need for you anymore. And you can move on and go and work in the private sector. If you believe you can work in the private sector. Sadly, a lot of people are like, what are you kidding me? It took me two years to fix this problem. I want to work in the government for 30 years because I want that pension. I want that deferred compensation. I want every other perk. I want to cash in my sick days. I want to put in 30 years and walk away with half a million dollars from public service, from government service. That's the problem. When you have so many states like New Jersey and others where the biggest employer in the state is the government, you wonder how we stay blue. These people make their living and I'm not criticizing people that I know that work for the government, but just as just a quick tangent, I know people that work for the government, whether it's the state, whether it's the county, whether it's their local township, whatever, and they always make more than their private sector counterparts, at least typically in blue states, and they do it by design. You might go to one state and you meet a, a school teacher that, you know, goes out there every day and gives it their all to try and educate the next generation. And they complain that they're underpaid and overworked. And then you come to a place like New Jersey and you've got people coming right out of college making $80,000 a year. Now, some people listening to this might go, well, that's a good starting salary, 80000 And others of you, you're, you're picking up your jaw off the floor saying, wow. It took me, you know, uh, five years before I could get to 60000 in my job. Find your next truck
0: at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out in the town or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500 or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative Canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.
1: And then of course the debate becomes, well, did you go to school? I, I went, I got a bachelor's and then of course I went and got a master's. And if you get a master's, you can make more money as a teacher. Not every industry is built that way because not every industry has a teacher's union that lobbies for them that way. So this is why people are oh, don't attack the teachers. I'm not attacking the teachers. I'm attacking the teacher's union and the politicization, if I said that right, of teachers. Let teachers teach. Let's stop politicizing race. Let's stop politicizing history. And let's be the world leader again in, in just being smart and producing architects and doctors and no- nurses and lawyers and architects that know their stuff America used to lead in the hard sciences and now we only lead in higher ed and that's not good because eventually they're going to figure out higher ed's the problem right as is politics in, in in the classroom but going back to this topic that we're talking about With Anthony Blinken's failure of leadership and, of course, um, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and how I don't have the answers to that, but I do know, as um, the Great One points out, they're blowing up and vandalizing and and setting ablaze synagogues across America. Different cities are beating up Jews in the streets that are out there protesting for, for Israel. And he asks a simple question. How many mosques have been blown up here in the United States because of this conflict? The answer is none, zero. Because that's not how these guys are rolling. The Israelis aren't out there for blood. They're they're there to protect themselves. The Jews just wanna protect themselves. And the only reason I know this is because I grew up in a neighborhood with Jews. Before I moved to New Jersey, when I was 12 years old in the sixth grade, I lived on Ocean Avenue and Avenue M in Brooklyn, New York. Right behind my building was East 21st Street. Now, it's a very Jewish neighborhood there, Midwood. And it was very clean. And the, the grass was always very well kept. Manicured lawns, very safe area. I used to ride my bike, no issue. And my parents would only let me ride in that area, not the other way towards the NBC Studios down Avenue M by the train station where they used to shoot the Cosby show at NBC studios. I and mean, I wanted to go because I wanted to see, you know, the cast of the Cosby show and whatnot, but they wouldn't let me go that way because it was, it was different over there. It wasn't as clean. It wasn't as quiet. And the reason it was clean and quiet in, in the Midwood section behind my building, East 21st street, 22nd street was because, you know, going toward Flatbush, toward Nostran Avenue. The reason why was because they policed their own, they schooled their own kids in their own schools. They went to private school, yeshiva, religious education. And they protected their own streets with something called the JDL, the Jewish Defense League. And I was always fascinated by that because they, uh, they had these unmarked cars, but they would have like, you know, police lights on them. And these guys were armed. And uh, they made sure they kept their neighborhood safe and clean. It's quite frankly what every neighborhood should do. And it was something that I grew up watching and seeing and I learned from. And I realized whether you were the JDL or just a bunch of concerned neighbors on Avenue M or Ocean Avenue, most people wanted to keep their neighborhood safe and clean. And they didn't want certain elements in the neighborhood. But through manipulation, through emotional blackmail and every other tactic that the left uses, we've succumbed to this. And now it's, it's you, you welcome these things. And when you don't welcome them, you make sure that the barriers that protect you from them, like your police are eliminated, like your ability to own a gun and carry a gun and all that, that's all gone. So you become a sitting duck right in your own neighborhood. And Rahm Emanuel, who was President Obama's chief of staff, he makes this comment that this Israeli-Palestinian conflict was made into a partisan issue. And I don't believe that it's necessarily a partisan issue, but I believe that partisans may come down on different sides of this because I believe that the left has hijacked the idea of black and brown people. And now they say that the Palestinians are brown people that are being discriminated against, ethnically cleansed through apartheid laws from the Netanyahu regime. And he's a war criminal. This is what they say. And I know that stuff to not be true, but they believe it hook, line, and sinker. So if you're a person that says, hey, you know what, when I woke up this morning, I was a Boricua, I'm I'm Puerto Rican, right? I'm an American of Hispanic heritage. My parents were born on the island of Puerto Rico. Put me in the sun for a little too long, I get extra crispy brown. So therefore, I've gotta stick up for my brown brethren because you know we gotta stick together, right? Black and brown. I think as people, we got to all stick together, but I'm not necessarily against this idea because I understand why people are trying to be in solidarity for the underdog. The problem is they leave out a lot of the critical facts. Like Rahm Emanuel, when he says this stuff, well, let's listen to what he said and then I'll respond to it. Check this out. One, I think
0: inside the Democratic Party is a generational divide. Yeah, Uh, where uh, and the younger generation has only known one prime minister in Israel, a person who insulted Vice President Biden when he came to visit on a settlement start, insulted President Obama by not checking with him about a speech to the Congress. And then it's fully embraced Trump. He made Israel a partisan issue.
1: So that's uh, former whatever mayor um, of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, former Obama aide, top aide. He says first that he thinks that the Democratic Party's in a generational divide. Well, he's right on that. The younger party are the radicals of the 60s all over again, right? The younger part of the party, the AOC wing, the Bernie Sanders wing, even though he's not young, he only targets the young and that handful of radicals like him. So when you get young people that are like, you know what, we've got to speak truth to power as if that were actually what they were doing. But instead, what we're doing is we're promoting division. We're promoting racial strife critical race theory and all the rest of this crazy uh, BDS movement nonsense to just continue to hurt people and divide people, divide and conquer. This is what they do. And then he goes on to talk about Netanyahu and that he's insulted Biden. Politicians insult politicians all the time. What this has to do with anything is beyond me. Then he talks about insulting Obama. Obama. Obama insulted him too, which is why he did that whole speech in Congress. But again, selective memory. I think he was personally offended by it because he was in the White House at the time. But I don't believe for a second that it was Netanyahu that made Israel and Palestine's conflict a partisan issue. If anything, it's the exact opposite. It's those on the left with their fascination with living their life through the lens of racism with black and brown, black and brown everything, being at the... uh, tip of their tongue every time they speak. So I blame you, Rahm Emanuel. I blame the Democrats for that type of divisiveness. But sometimes partisanship is all anybody knows. And up next, we're going to listen to a couple of uh, Republicans and what they have to say about, well, their fellow Republicans. I guess they haven't heard of Reagan's 11th commandment. Keep it locked right there. Rich Valdez will be right back. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all the social media. Make sure you give us a follow and interact with us. I love to read the comments. I love to, um, you know, get your feedback on what's going on. If there's something in one of the episodes that you particularly liked, let me know. And of course, you could always contact me at richvaldez.com. The richvaldez.com is our flagship website where you can always stay in touch with us. You can use the contact us feature and that stuff will eventually make its way to me in an email. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you. And again, for everybody, for their support and their review, of the show and for sharing the show um, gets, I think we're still at a 4.9 rating out of 5.0 because of your positive feedback on your podcast app. So thank you for that. And thank you for getting your friends to subscribe and to listen. I know somebody sent me a note the other day and said that you know they try to tweet my stuff and it sometimes doesn't even work because big tech is that way. But those of you that know how to outsmart big tech and send it through your messenger app or send it through a text message or email it to your friends, uh, you're making progress and we do appreciate it. So thank you very much for being patriots. Now, I wanna talk about the GOP because of course the GOP is the big tent party. And that's part of what always attracted me to the GOP was that it's a monolith on the other side. It's always pro-union. It's always uh, pro-abortion. It's always pro-tax and pro-spending. That's the Democrat Party. There's, there's no wiggle room. They always go all in and everybody's on the same page. That's why people go, why can't we be like the Democrats? They're always, you know, they, they, they're in lockstep. I don't want to be in lockstep. I love the fact that we have rhinos. I love the fact that we have diversity. It lets you know who's weak among you so you can take them out. That's it, bottom line. You've got to be better than them. You've got to be stronger than them. That's how our food chain works. The big fish eats the little fish. Having rhinos allows us to know who the little fish is that needs to get gobbled up in the next primary. Now, there's a lot of talk now saying that What years ago would have been described as the Tea Party revolution or a conservative takeover of the party, now is being described as a cult of Trumpists, you see. Well, anyway, Joe Scarborough on his show, The Morning Joe on MSNBC, says that this is the cult of Trump. Listen to this. The more Republicans lose,
2: the more of a personality cult. Uh, Donald Trump seems to develop. You can look at his losses in 17, you can look at his losses in 18, historic losses. I mean, mm-hmm. Republicans are losing like they've never lost before in the House of Representatives, is just as far as the pure, pure vote totals. Uh, Nineteen, they started losing governorships in the South, and then in twenty, they lost the big race, uh, lost the race for the, for the presidency, lost Georgia, lost the Senate, lost the House. It's and and so rational parties, parties that actually want to rule, parties that want their policies to change instead of uh, just uh, these uh, putting forth these hyper gestures. They self-adjust and they start electing candidates that can get elected. Donald Trump's not that guy. He's just not that guy. And we've seen time and again that he puts, uh, in many cases, people in a difficult position mm-hmm. to win general elections. So we'll see what happens. It has all the evidence of uh, a serious cult. Not, I'm not saying it as a joke. I'm not saying it as sort of an ex- it, you know, not even an exaggeration
1: at this point. Yeah. So that's Joe Scarborough and his wife, Mika Brzezinski, the daughter of Svignu Brzezinski, a communist sympathizer in his own right. Now, and I'm talking about uh, Mr. Brzezinski. He says that we've lost like never before. Now, I got to tell you, if you've got a rash, wouldn't you want to lose it? If you've got cancer, wouldn't you want to lose those cancer cells? Now, yes, I am saying, uh, at least making this comparison, that rhinos like these, and there's a couple of more you're going to hear from, are a cancer on your party, not simply because they disagree. I don't think Liz Cheney is a cancer on the party. I think Liz Cheney made a bad move, and I've been clear on that, and I think it it was very evident that because she was in leadership, because her voting record is not one that we would be embarrassed over. She's a conservative from Wyoming. I don't I don't think she's a rhino. I think she is an anti-Trumper, a never-Trumper, if you will. That's very different than being a rhino, but that's my opinion. But the point I make is that she made her error because she was in the leadership. Had she stepped down, I would have said, hey, look, Lynn Cheney was voting her conscience, saying what she wanted to say, big tent party. I'm willing to deal with that diversity of thought. I really am. And let's debate about it. But what's not cool is when you're part of what we believe to be the problem, right? We believe that if you're an establishment Republican, if you make your career through government, that being in government has enriched you and the ever-increasing massiveness of government is something you contribute to, that somehow you're not helping America on the whole. I believe that to be true. Now, this doesn't make these people my enemy. A lot of people have a lot of respect for guys like uh, Boehner and Paul Ryan and and um, Trey Gowdy and so many others that were these types of Republicans. And you know, kudos to Gowdy for saying, you know what, I'm getting out. And a lot of them got out because they realized, you know what, this is not that party anymore. This is not the party of the corporatist. To borrow a phrase from the great one. It's not, this isn't the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's party. It's not the, um, the big business party. This has got to be the party of the people, right? That there's a populist revolt going on. I'm not necessarily saying I'm a populist or a big business person, but I can live. There's ideas from both camps that I can support. I think it's good to have uh, a, a vibrant conversation on these issues. But bottom line, I think we got to revere the Constitution. We've got to overall revere America. And we've got to do what's right for we the people. The people have to be in charge. And that's always the case, in my opinion. So when you have Scarborough saying Trump isn't that guy, Trump isn't that guy, that's good. We don't need guys like Scarborough. And when he's saying we took losses like never before... I would turn around and say, you show me a Republican that could fill stadium after stadium after stadium and do what Trump did. You show me a Republican that can win by the numbers that he won in 2016 and then up those for 2020 the way Trump did. Now, of course, if you're going to sit here and say, yeah, but he lost and blah, blah, blah. The 2020 loss is one that's special, that is very unfortunate. And we've talked to, I think, uh, talked about at nauseum about how they changed the rules of the game in order to win. But that doesn't mean that Trump is a loser, in my opinion. That means they outsmarted him because they weren't playing fair. Now, in terms of uh, Congress and all that, this is where it gets dicey. Because, yeah, you can try to make the case and say, look, you've lost your majority. Okay, we lost the majority. Is it on Trump? No, no. The Trump guys, most of them won. Guys like Matt Gates and others, they won. The people that are the closest allies to the president. A couple of people he endorsed may not have flown right. But again, some of those endorsements were more political than, than really um, intrinsic people that were really um, supporters of Trump and vice versa. I don't think Trump had his heart, <clears throat> excuse me, on endorsing candidates in Georgia per se. I think he did it because it was the right thing to do because America needed those votes. America needed two more Republicans in Congress. So I think he did it for his country. I think he did it because it was the right thing to do to prevent Warnock and the other guy whose name I forget equally as, as ineffective. But when you look at what Trump has been able to produce, the fact that he's out of office and there's still such a vibrant community of people that, that want to support and want to see him run again. And the fact that Lindsey Graham was just on Hannity saying that uh, if Trump ran today, he's the guy hands down. Yeah, 100% right. That is the bottom line. So when you try to make the case that Trump is a loser based on those facts, I'd say, I, I don't think you, you have your ear to the ground. I don't think you really know what you're talking about. I really don't. It seems like you're splitting hairs and you're splitting the wrong ones. The Republican Party is getting rid of ineffective Republicans. And if those are the losses that we have to endure to elect conservatives that really believe in putting America first and doing the will of the people, then those are losses that we have to endure. It has nothing to do about becoming a cult of Trump's personality. Now, Is there an element in the movement that is like that? Like no matter what, I love Donald Trump. He's the best, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of people that are in this for Trump. I always make it clear. I love Trump, but this isn't about Trump. It's about America. This is a movement for America. Whether you call it MAGA, whether you call it America first, this is a movement for America. Trump won't be around forever, but our hope is that America will be around. And those that see it that way, which I think is the vast majority, are committed to making sure that Trump currently represents that leadership and that we produce more leaders like that and we keep moving with this movement. But that doesn't mean that there's a small element of people that are there because it is personality-driven, and I get it. And that's not something that you can avoid. But you know that you're over the target when they start to freak out a little bit, you know? And we've got this... um, Ed Luce from the Financial Times, I'm not going to play the whole audio because it's kind of not necessary, but he says that the Republican Party is increasingly resembling a communist Jonestown cult. Now, when you say something like that, and, you know, at least me, I've got my ear to the ground. I talk to lots of Republicans, talk to lots of people, period. It's what I do. And you see that to be not the case. You know, this guy's just either misinformed or misunderstood, but he's not being honest. But what I do want you to hear is uh, former Secretary Robert Gates, I believe, whatever he was, uh, CIA director. And he he had some comments on the Republican Party saying that of any of the Republican presidents that he'd worked for in the past, none of them would recognize the Republican Party of today. Listen to this. If you were
2: analyzing the political structure of the United States as a CIA analyst and the minority party believed that the majority of the voters in that party believed that the president was illegitimate, how would you assess the stability of the political organization of that country?
1: I would have serious concerns about the future. You know, I've I, I worked for I worked for eight presidents, five of them were Republicans. I don't
2: think any of them would recognize the the Republican Party today. And what does that mean? Well, I think that I think in terms of the values and the principles that the Republican Party stood for under those five presidents
1: uh, are hard to find these days. So Gates says under the terms of uh, principles and values, they wouldn't recognize the party. So a party that's vehemently pro-life, a party that's vehemently pro-America, a party that is vehemently pro-military, pro-national security. I think Reagan would recognize that. I think even George W. Bush would recognize that. Even though he was very friendly towards the business crowd, I don't think he would have shunned the, the party of today. I think he shuns Trump because he just doesn't like Trump. Just like Liz Cheney doesn't like Trump. And that's a different story for a different day. But something that I saw on Twitter from my buddy Matt Schlapp from the American Conservative Union, he tweeted in response to Mr. Gates's comments. He wrote, good. (laughs) And I thought, couldn't have been more eloquent. Absolutely. Good. It's good that these previous Republicans might not recognize the Republican Party of today. You know why? Because when Donald Trump got in the race in 2015, the Republican Party was de facto dead and dying or dying about to be dead. It was after eight years of Obama. Nothing had been done. The Tea Party had risen up and was squashed by McConnell and others that supported that or succumbed to McConnell's pressure. So you didn't have much of a conservative wing in the party. But enter Trump and he starts doing things from all over the place. He's very conservative on a lot of issues, but he's also the first person appointing a LGBTQ person to the cabinet. He appoints the first uh, black female general to the United States Marine Corps. I mean, he's just breaking all sorts of firsts and barriers and things like that and doesn't get credit for them. But enter Trump, and there's a revival of the Republican Party, and maybe not enough. And I think there was enough to get us through midterms and whatnot, but they challenged him in the beginning, and they wouldn't work with him. He wanted to be flexible on DACA, and they said no. And look, you can have whatever opinion you want on that stuff. My point is, there could have been more political wins early on, and I don't blame them on Trump. Trump ran on a platform that said, we're going to defund Obamacare, and he stuck with it. They didn't. So some of them are retiring because they're like, you know what? I'm out of here. The money's going to dry up. This guy's not in it for the money. He's on some altruistic, uh, let's be honest, kumbaya stuff, and I'm not down for that. Good. Good riddance to you, sir. Peace. Beat it, Rhino Republican. That's fine. So yeah, you take a couple of losses. And the fact that we can't recognize the party today, good. Because we got too used to seeing a party filled with people that were complacent. Too filled with the idea that so-and-so needs to do this and the other one needs to do that. And everybody's got to do my work but me. And Trump believes in doing his own work. The guy worked hard. He said, there's a problem in Washington. I am leaving my penthouse here on Fifth Avenue. I'm taking my supermodel wife with me and I'm going to move into the swamp and they're going to attack me. They're going to attack my family. They're going to attack my wife. They're going to come after all of us. They're going to try and put me in jail. They're going to try and put my kids in jail. And I'm going to lose $600 million in the process, more than half a billion in losses while I'm here serving America. Trump understood the sacrifice. And all I can say is let us all take a page from Trump's sacrifice and realize that sometimes you got to put your job on the line. Sometimes you've got to recognize that in order to protect your family, you've got to come under a little fire like Trump did. You've got to be able to put your neck out for America, for your cause, for what you believe in. It's that that's going to get us through. It's recognizing the sacrifice that is going to get us through this. It's matching the intellectual argument and the passion that is shown on the left. They love Marx. They are ready to burn down buildings in the name of Marx. What are we willing to do in the name of America? We need to challenge them at every step. Legally, legally lawfully and peacefully. And we're going to win. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, America, I always tell you that if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. Hamilton. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So be inspired. Take heart. Be of good cheer and go out there and make a difference for America today. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America.
2: This is America.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site